What up, Ring Crew Army, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and on this episode of the Square Circle Podcast, I will be going over the main event of Road to Castle Attack that happened on February 22nd, 2021, because New Japan Pro Wrestling had two Road to Castle Attack series not televised. I sort of lost how many nights were in. This might be night seven of the Row 2 series, but they had Iwate and Yamagata shows and they were not advertised. However, Bullet Club did compete on those shows. I just can't really talk about it because I have no footage to even comment on. But if you have made it this far with me on this podcast, thank you so much for listening to all of my New Japan Pro Wrestling podcast episodes whether that be on anchor.fm forward slash square circle podcast spotify apple podcast google podcast and also now youtube i have decided to revitalize my youtube channel and put up my podcast episodes on there we are currently at 60 subscribers i need 40 more to make 100 so i could get that special url but in the meantime search up square circle podcast and you guys can find it there. I have been having such a wonderful time reviewing, giving the play-by-play, and giving you the full analysis with the backstage comments on all the Row 2 series, meaning Wrestle Kingdom 15, then talking about New Year's Dash, and then starting the Road to the New Beginning series, coming to the New Beginning, and then the Road to Castle Attack, and now we're so close to castle attack night one and two we have one more row two series on february 25th and then it's straight on to the two-day event february 27th february 28th both of those shows have high profile matches and some changes to those cards are probably going to happen if you're not tuned into new japan pro wrestling news so let's just get started with some quick news hiromu is out with an injury he's going to be out for six to 12 months he requires surgery he somehow damaged his left chest muscle and you know i was rooting for hiromu and this podcast was going to have an honorable mention of hiromu's match when he would have taken on el fantasmo at night two of castle attack sadly I don't think that's going to happen. So I don't know what they're going to put there in a replacement. But what I do know is that before that match happens on the 25th, there was supposed to be a tag team title match where El Fantasmo and Bone Soldier put up their IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championships against Yoshinobu and El Desperado. It was originally supposed to be Bushi and Hiromu in their spot but because Hiromu got injured and cannot compete they had to switch out the challengers for that match to happen. Naito had also mentioned that he had gotten injured slightly injured he doesn't need as much time off as Hiromu so Naito was facing Nagata in one of his tag team matches and Nagata comes in with a roll and happened to hit Naito's knee. And during that match, Naito was mocking Kota Ibushi when Ibushi was holding his knee. And I didn't think anything of it until Naito went to go get checked out and came back with the report saying that he got slightly injured. If everything is okay, he can still wrestle and 
Night two of Castle Attack, it will be Kota Ibushi taking on Naito for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship title before Ibushi decides to want to unify both titles. Now, I haven't really spoken much about unifying both prestigious titles on this podcast, so I might just give a simple word to it. While Ibushi did become God and he earned every right to become God finally. And he has two championship titles. You don't need to unify them because then that lessens story potentials with other wrestlers involved in New Japan Pro Wrestling, especially when the young lions come up through the ranks and they're no longer young lions. What are they going to fight for if you decide to unify the IWGP Intercontinental Championship title and the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship title? Everyone that has ever held any of those championship titles always says that the belt is the most heaviest belt that they have ever felt. And of course, they have to take it from show to show to show and it gets a little heavy with the weight. I totally get it. So if you don't want to hold both of those championships anymore, then it's time to defend either one of them, depending on which one your opponent wants. And that creates more story when you have two championship titles and you could definitely do it that way. But to unify it just because... It will make it easier. doesn't make any sense in terms of you have a lot more wrestlers that want to hold on to the Intercontinental Championship title because it might mean something to them depending on the legacy of who they look up to and who they want to call as their senpai. The same thing with the IWGP Heavyweight Championship title that has been held by many greats in New Japan Pro Wrestling and to unify these two belts, what are we going to call it? What are we going to do with it? How are we going to determine who's really the best in the category of champion? You're going to try to combine both histories and it's going to be greater. It's going to have a greater effect, but at the same time, it limits the potential stories that the young lions can have once they graduate from the dojo and the stories that other wrestlers can have with each other and not just focus on the warm-up tournaments that New Japan Pro Wrestling has. So I think that while Kota Ibushi is in a very powerful position to state his claims for why he wants things to be unified i just think it's a really wrong idea like play the god that you want to play with both titles because right now you are the man with the biggest target on his back aew wwe and impact don't compare to the amount of power that kota ibushi has for him being a double champion and to unify the belts because he wants to will only limit the amount of creativity that Kota Ibushi can implement as a double champion, as the god of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Because whatever happens after February 28th, whether Naito gets the IWGP Intercontinental Championship or not, Jay White is not too far behind in his destino after he defeats Ishii on the 27th. He will come for Kota Ibushi and he will be knocking on that door 
And obviously, the God would be waiting there. And Jay White is definitely going to challenge Ibushi one day for probably both titles. And then God has to make a decision on how is this story going to play out. And I just thought of this idea, so I'm just going to throw it out here on the podcast. So we've all seen how Evil and Okada are going after each other. And Evil keeps saying that Okada is no longer the face of New Japan Pro Wrestling. And this is why Okada hasn't been able to get a victory over Evil. And Evil has been getting the victories. And that's only because Evil has been cheating in every single Bullet Club versus Chaos match. But... Let's overlook the cheating and let's call it as it is. Evil has been defeating Okada. On social media, Jay White put up a wonderful picture that was taken by Ringside. And it's a picture of him standing next to Evil. And Jay White captions it by saying, The boys, Osaka bound. And hashtags it with hashtag Bullet Club, hashtag Real Era, and hashtag Evil Era. Doesn't that make you guys think that once Jay White defeats Ishii and has Ishii in place, that he can go on to his destino and become God? So Jay White will be knocking on Ibushi's door. And by hashtagging evil era, maybe evil will be right by Jay White's side and knock on the door too. And challenge Kota Ibushi for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship. Everybody wants to be champion. I totally get it. And this will have to be something that's talked about between the two of like who's going to challenge for which belt. But imagine that scenario. You have two leaders of the Bullet Club because during the pandemic... Evil has stepped up. And then once Jay was able to come over to New Japan Pro Wrestling, then he assumed a role. But within Bullet Club, it's like a family. So no one's really the leader. But just the aspect of it where you have, I guess, the two main people, Jay White and Evil, doing amazing things in the ring, having amazing chemistry. And then if you guys saw that picture on social media, it looks fantastic. And the story there is powerful. So imagine both of those guys challenging Kota Ibushi one for the heavyweight championship the other for the intercontinental championship and Bullet Club will reign supreme and Bullet Club as a whole will be the kingdom and ruler of New Japan Pro Wrestling while you have Jay White assuming the role of God with a lowercase g and evil just being evil and everything is evil and just ruling over the New Japan land and you have G.O.D., still IWGP Tag Team Champions. You have El Fantasmo and Bone Soldier as junior heavyweight tag team champions still. And somehow anyone else in that group can bring over the six-man never openweight tag team championships. And at that point, Bullet Club will be unstoppable and they will be powerful. And all of them will definitely be a god. So that's the point I want to make where if Kota Ibushi decides to unify both titles, that potential story can definitely not happen. Because we also got to think about it that after Evil faces Okada, who else does Evil have 
Evo doesn't have anyone else to step up to him. So why not follow along on Jay's path and both of them can accomplish their destinos by just being champions and by dethroning Kota Ibushi off of his kingdom of where he sits. Wouldn't that be a lot more intriguing than having both titles be unified and then no story can definitely come from that because you're going to be fighting over one championship title again. I'm all for new ideas in pro wrestling and new ideas for championship titles and everything else that comes with it. But sometimes you need championships to fight for. And I know I'm supposed to be getting into the main event, which is Jay White teaming up with Evil, taking on Okada and Ishii, which was a very fantastic main event. But let me just quickly jump into the backstage comments from Jay White, because I want to point out something of what he said. He mentioned that his match with Ishii doesn't include a title. And but the story build between him and Ishii ever since February 1st of him coming back to New Japan Pro Wrestling and attacking Ishii and blaming him for all of his faults and blaming him for not getting the championships around his waist and that Kota Ibushi won the match at Wrestle Kingdom 15 has felt so special. And there's so much substance built around it that I'm just intrigued about what's the next step for Jay White to do? What's the next step for Ishii to do? Is Yoshihashi and Goto going to help out Ishii this time? Are they going to bend the rules and just get a slap on the wrist with Jay White? Is Jay White going to have the Bullet Club always back him up? Or what's really going to happen? So these two guys create a wonderful story. And I'm sort of glad that at this moment, it's not for a championship title because they make it feel so much important than a championship title and that's just how the story plays out it's a worthy story that follows jay white's descent into madness the way he decides to fight ishii in every single match that they had ever since the road to the new beginning the new beginning plus the road to castle attack each match is something different And for those that are not accustomed to watching New Japan Pro Wrestling matches, you might feel that the style of JY versus Ishii matches might be boring because there's no flips, there's no high spots, there's nothing that an American wrestling fan will recognize in his matches and might consider it to be boring. And that thought had popped up into my head when I was watching this match on the main event that I would understand the other side of the argument of why wrestling fans cannot get into New Japan Pro Wrestling. At the heart of New Japan Pro Wrestling, it's all about storytelling. And, you know, New Japan Pro Wrestling is not produced like American wrestling, where there's wrestling promos in the ring, backstage segments, funny comedic spots, you know, the whole works. New Japan Pro Wrestling relies on wrestling, the art of storytelling within the match, and then the backstage comments help that story with progression. So sometimes you might not even have matches that are very super athletic, and it's just all about the pure sport of wrestling. 
And that's what I enjoy. I enjoy the pure sport of professional wrestling. This is why I give so much time to talk about Jay White and Ishii because it's so special to my heart. And I love watching each and every one of their matches. There's tiny elements that are different in each and every one of those matches. And they're building up to a climax at the end of all this where we're going to get all of the falling action that happens. So here's a quick little timeline. When JY came back on February 1st to attack Ishii, Ishii was like, what the hell? He was shocked and surprised that JY would go after him. And throughout their series of matches, JY would do different tactics to get under Ishii's skin. He would roll out to the ring, roll back in. That would definitely anger Ishii. Jay White, along with Bullet Club, will isolate a member of Chaos in their corner and basically beat them down until Ishii was upset and try to come in. And then the referee will stop that because he's not legal to come into the match. Then as we progress forward to Castle Attack, Ishii is starting to get smarter, but he's still angry at certain aspects that Jay White does. And Ishii has learned that every time Jay White tries to roll out to the ring, he should roll out with him to stop him and bring him back into the ring. So he's countering everything that he's learning and observing from Jay White. However, Jay White is still always one step ahead of Ishii. So no matter what Ishii does, the results will always be the same, meaning that Jay White will always get Ishii angry and use that anger against Ishii for Ishii to make mistakes, for Jay White to capitalize. And by some miracle, Ishii will try to find a way to break that cycle in order to get some offense in on Jay White. Jay White is a very smart man when it comes to in-ring ability, and he knows that going strength for strength with Ishii is really a bad idea. We've seen it in past matches where Jay White tries to outpower Ishii, but that doesn't work because Ishii's forearms staggers Jay White and sometimes bring him down to the mat, bring him down to one knee. Sometimes it takes a simple duck that... Jay White has been doing to get Ishii into the Saido suplex in order to create some type of separation between the two. So that way, Jay White can continue to have risk control and continue to be on the attack of Ishii while Ishii is still angry about all tactics that Jay White does. And there goes the whole beauty of their series that they've been having. And it's been a wonderful story that I love to watch because that's the type of wrestling that I like watching. I'd rather be challenged mentally to understand the components and the stories within the match rather than having my hand being held or being shown something completely stupid that makes no sense for anything in wrestling. All right, I can make a whole podcast dedicated to Jay White and Ishii. But let's jump into the main event, which is the tag team match that had Jay White and Evil taking on Okada and Ishii. We start off with Ishii versus Jay White. Jay tries to roll out of the ring. However, Ishii follows him. This is what I was talking about before, where Ishii is getting smarter about all the tactics that Jay White is doing. So he's following him. However... There's a setback to when you want to follow your opponent because you don't want your opponent to continue to doing the same tactics. 
And the setback is that while both men roll back into the ring, Jay White now has the advantage and applies a front headlock onto Ishii. Ishii pushes Jay into the ropes and this calls for a rope break. And Jay White is very loud and calls over the referee to let him know that Ishii needs to back up and he's in the ropes. And as soon as the referee, by the way, the referee is Red Shoes. As soon as Red Shoes gets Ishii off of Jay White and Jay White feels a little bit of a separation, he instantly drops down, rolls out to the floor. Jay White then decides to bait in Ishii by telling the referee it's okay. Ishii comes forward. Jay White trips him so he can pull Ishii out to the floor with him. On the outside, Jay ducks a forearm by Ishii and rolls back into the ring. And when Ishii follows him, Jay White is immediately stomping on Ishii's back. Ishii then throws Jay into the ropes, but Jay smartly holds onto the ring ropes and rolls out again. Jay rolls back in and charges at Ishii with a shoulder tackle. However, that doesn't bother Ishii. Jay ducks Ishii's forearm again and pushes Ishii into the ropes only to roll out of the way of an oncoming forearm and goes and tags in Evil. I will say that ever since Jay White got so much leaner with the muscle that he has, his speed has increased tremendously. Ishii then tags in Okada and now we have Okada versus Evil. Automatically, we have Dick Togo with the distraction to Okada. Evil takes the advantage, chops Okada. Okada comes in with a DDT to Evil. Again, Dick Togo comes in with a distraction and as Okada hits Dick Togo, Evil comes in and throws Okada into the barricade. I would like to mention that in every single Road to Castle Attack, and probably in the new beginning, for some reason, Evil does not like the Timekeeper's table. Every time he throws somebody into the barricade, the Timekeeper and the Bellkeeper are always on the floor, and they always get hurt. I don't know what's Evil's problem with those guys. They have a really hard job, and Evil just keeps pushing people into that part of the barricade, and there goes the Timekeeper. There goes the bellkeeper too. Evil tags in Jay and as Evil is holding Okada's arm out, Jay comes in with an axe handle to Okada's arm. Jay takes Okada down to the mat and drives his knee into his face and also his fist into the side of Okada. This is where Jay starts taunting Ishii, getting under his skin. Okada manages to get his foot to the rope. Jay stomps on Okada while taunting Ishii again. Jay throws Okada into the exposed turnbuckle. Evil is tagged in now and hit Okada in the back. Evil throws Okada into the exposed turnbuckle again. Evil goes back to Jay tagging him in. They're keeping the freshman in this match and Bullet Club is being as destructive as they always are. Always keeping the enemy isolated in their corner. This is how dangerous Bullet Club is. Since Jay is the legal man, he takes Okada to the outside and throws him into the barricade while Evil taunts Ishii and Ishii tries to come in and the referee is distracted. And then on the outside, Jay takes the camera cable and wraps it around Okada and chokes him for a little bit. Evil then knocks off Ishii and Ishii's anger gets the best of him. When he tries to attack Evil, but Evil rakes his eyes and Ishii is rolling out to the floor. Jay then throws Okada back into the ring, goes for a cover, but Red Shoes refuses 
to make the cover. It was a really awkward moment. There wasn't too much explanation behind it, but Restrews did not want to count at that point. Jay does a headlock on Okada, and again, he's looking straight at Ishii. He's talking shit to Ishii, and Ishii comes into the ring, yet the referee has to do his job and get Ishii into his corner, and he does. Okada tries for a forearm against Jay, but that doesn't work. Jay throws a forearm against Okada's back. Jay maintains control of the situation of the match okada manages to throw jay into the ropes charges at him but jay white picks up a boot and that staggers okada until jay white charges at okada for a move and okada answers back with a kick of his own and both men are not down on the mat okada manages to tag in ishii jay sees this and tries to claw out the ring but Ishii grabs Jay's boot to pull him back. Jay pulls himself up into the ropes and ref finally gets a rope break from Ishii because Jay is crying very loudly for a rope break to happen. Even Gato on the outside is telling the referee that there needs to be a rope break at this moment. Jay then decides that it'll be a smart idea to hit Ishii on the back of the head. That's almost like a death sentence. And that's how you know that that chip on Jay's shoulder, it's only growing more and more to get that much confidence and that much cockiness into this match right before your singles match with him come Castle Attack Night 1. Ishii then backs Jay into the corner and this is where the referee needs to use his strength to get Ishii off of him and Ishii and the referee are having an exchange of words. Jay tries for a forearm but Ishii doesn't budge at all. Jay throws some knees into Ishii's gut. Then Irish whips him into a corner and delivers a flying forearm. That slightly staggers Ishii. However, Jay follows it up with another Irish whip into the other corner with a close forearm. But that does nothing to Ishii at all. Jay then tries some more forearms and knee strikes, but Ishii doesn't budge. Then he tries for a shoulder tackle. But Ishii responds with a forearm to Jay that staggers him pretty bad. Evil tries to come in and save Jay, but gets knocked down by a shoulder tackle by Ishii. Ishii then shoulder tackles Jay. Ishii backs Jay up into the corner and unleashes chops and forearms on Jay. Gato then decides to get up on the apron to distract Ishii, but Ishii pulls him into the ring and throws Gato into Jay White, who's still in the corner. And Gato rolls out after that. Jay then sidesteps Ishii. Gato decides to hold Ishii's foot as another distraction. And this allows Jay White to get the DDT on Ishii. Jay White then backs Ishii up into the corner and does a running European uppercut. Then some chops and kicks to Ishii. Raking the eyes and does the blade buster. After all that, both men start countering each other's moves until Ishii manages to do a power slam on Jay. Jay White manages to do a Death Valley driver to Ishii and rolls over to tag in Evil. Evil throws Ishii into the exposed turnbuckle, and but it gets reversed. Ishii throws Evil chest first into the exposed turnbuckle. Ishii then does a belly-to-back throw on Evil. Okada gets tagged in. Okada does his elbow to Evil. Evil gets the boot up to Okada, rushes him, but gets caught with a high face plant. Okada goes for the cover. Evil kicks out. Rake of the eyes to Okada by Evil. Evil swings Okada's legs into the ropes, strikes his back once, and then stomps on Okada's chest, almost like a hanging pendulum drop. Jay baseball slides to Ishii, 
which kicks him off the apron. Evil and Jay team up against Okada. European uppercuts to Okada by Jay, a clothesline by Evil, and then Evil does a snap suplex to Okada. Jay rolls out to attack Ishii. Okada with the discus lariat into the money clip on Evil. Jay saves the match. Ishii isn't far behind as he and Jay counter move for move for move before Ishii pushes Jay into Okada for an uppercut. Jay staggers into Ishii and Ishii delivers a German suplex to Jay White. Okada and Ishii knock off Gato and Dick Togo. Stiff clothesline by Ishii to Evil. Ishii rolls out. Okada with the dropkick to Evil. Then the money clip. However, Evil backs Okada into the corner. And this is where Okada drops the money clip submission. Gato distracts. Dick Togo decides to choke Okada out. And this allows Evil to do the STO, which is his finisher called Everything is Evil. And that allows Evil to pick up the victory over Okada in this match. So Bullet Club gets the victory over Chaos in the main event of the Road to Castle Attack. And now we get the post-match beatdown because both Jay White and Evil aren't satisfied. Evil beats up Okada. Okada's out to the floor and Jay White automatically goes after Ishii and uses his Jay White switchblade towel to choke out Ishii. And it really works. It put Ishii to sleep and Jay White was super proud of his work and even the young boys that came in to try to stop them, that didn't work. And I just want to give a shout out to Gabriel Kidd. Poor Gabriel Kidd. First, Jay White is trying to teach the young boys how to clap and the young boys don't listen to Jay White at all. And then Jay White is like, hey, the young boys weren't protecting us against whenever Ishii were to attack them. But this time around that the tables are turned and Bullet Club took matters into their own hands. Gabriel Kidd is getting beat up by Bullet Club in the process of trying to do his young boy job. So I feel very bad for Gabriel Kidd. And I know he's probably getting mixed singles from both Jay White and everyone else in the fact of you either help or you don't help. The moment that you help, you're going to get an elbow straight to you. And then the second time you do help out to get Jay White off of Ishii, while Evil is trying to cut a promo, you apologize to Gabriel Kidd. To me, I find it kind of funny. It's an interesting dynamic. I have a feeling that one day they're going to recruit Gabriel Kidd into Bullet Club. If it was me, I would definitely treat Gabriel Kidd as a friend. So that way the transition could be easier. With this going on, who really would want to trust Jay at that point? You know, I'm just saying. But um, yeah, I feel for Gabriel Kidd. Poor kid to be in that mess and to be in all of that. And this is where we get to the backstage comments. I mentioned it earlier just slightly, but um, Evil feels that he is the face of New Japan Pro Wrestling and that Okada is no longer the face. And when comes their match, if Evil is victorious, he will probably just be the face of New Japan Pro Wrestling. But I had a bigger idea after he defeats Okada, who else is there? I wouldn't know. But he can definitely go on the path of trying to challenge for either title that Kota Ibushi has and knock him off his pedestal when we get there, obviously. 
And then the backstage comments in regards to Jay White. He has been completely honest with us every step of the way from his actions to his words. And depending on what happens first, he's a man of his word. He stays true to his word and he definitely lets you know what's going to happen, what's going to go down. And he's very honest with us. And that's what I appreciate. I appreciate when people are honest and transparent and they do what they say. And sometimes their actions can speak louder than their words. And this was one of those particular nights where Bullet Club again is victorious over chaos, over their rivals. And they set out to do what they do and they are very destructive. And this is what makes this era of Bullet Club so unified and so dangerous because they act like one unit and not like separate units or subunits within the main group under the umbrella of Bullet Club. So we can have the debate of which is the best Bullet Club leader. But right now, in terms of story and in terms of attachment, the JY era, it's still his era, is probably the best one by far. I followed the elite one. It was okay for what it was at the time, but it still felt like a subgroup within the main group, Bullet Club, but with Jay White, Evil, Tama, Loa, and everyone else, it feels more of a family. It feels more of a family that will have your back no matter what. And that's what Bullet Club was always about, having family and having people's backs and always being out there to make sure that everyone is doing their part and no one is really slacking off. Not saying that anyone is slacking off in Bullet Club right now. They're the hottest thing going. And every one of my podcast episodes talk about something Bullet Club related, something Jay White related and something evil related, because all I can see right now is evil on the up and up and the chemistry within bullet club is fantastic it's the most cohesive chemistry i've seen and there's no other chemistry like it when you look at other stables or factions whatever you want to call them i'm just happy to be covering professional wrestling and i'm happy to be covering bullet club and all of jay white's matches because there's something special from a creative standpoint and from a writer's perspective that I highly appreciate whenever I watch it and whenever I break it down for you guys. So with that being said, I can go all day talking about Jay White, talking about Ishii, talking about the creative process and maybe some fantasy booking, but let me not do that. That would be for another episode or if anyone wants me on their podcast to talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling or wrestling in general, you know, hit me up. And you know how you can hit me up? Follow me on Twitter at Marie underscore shadows. I'm always active on Twitter. So don't be shy. Come say hi. You guys can also leave me a voice message on anchor.fm forward slash square circle podcast. Anchor is the official home of the Square Circle podcast for all audio formats. If you guys have Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, I'm on there as well. Just search up Square Circle podcast. And guess what? I also have a YouTube channel. I currently have 60 subscribers on my YouTube channel. I need 40 more to get 100 so I can get that special URL. So help me out. Drop me a sub. Hit that notification button. Give this podcast, which is going to be a video format, a thumbs up. Leave a comment on there, too. I'll get back to all your comments. And if you want to take it a step further, I will be having some articles coming up soon. Head over to theringcrew.substack.com to sign up and read the articles that I write. The articles are mainly about professional wrestling. 
professional wrestling is definitely my super passion. You guys have been listening to a Road to the Castle Attack series episode on the Square Circle podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and I'll see you guys on the next one.